occasionally strong offshore. The temperature now is 20 degrees and the humidity 88%. The news from RTHK. Hello and welcome to Back Chat. This is Brian Wong. And I'm Andrew Work. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about how Hong Kong can step up its tourism game. The government's banking on mega events and initiatives such as its Night Vibes campaign to draw the tourists back. And figures from the Lunar New Year break shows that tourist numbers have rebounded back to pre-COVID levels. But some shops and restaurants say business could be better and tourists aren't spending as much as they used to. Add to the mix the heightened pressure from rival destinations such as Singapore and it's clear the local tourism sector has its work cut out to get back on top. So how is Hong Kong doing in distinguishing itself from its rivals and what more can we do? Do call us anytime on 2338-8266 and join in on the conversation or WhatsApp us on 6899-8518. Comment on our Facebook page or email us at backchatterrthk.hk. And after 9.45, we're going to learn from the SPCA's newly released dating style mobile pet adoption app, if you can get your head around that one. Brian. So... That's a very interesting point. And on exactly Hong Kong's ability to appeal and attract a tourist, we are very pleased to be joined by um, Hesh Haralela, advisor, advocate, entrepreneur in ESG, healthcare, agricultural tech and blockchain. Quite a mouthful. He comes from a family of hotel developers born and raised here in Hong Kong, uh, through and through Hong Konger. And also joining us by phone is James Tong, executive committee member, Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents. So thank you, Mahesh and James, for being here. Thank you very morning. much, Ryan. Good Thank morning. You. Thank you. So, Mahesh, let's start with you. Um, what's your take on the state of tourism right now in Hong Kong? I mean, you come from and you work in the, the industry of development of hotels, tourism. You have a lot of thoughts on Hong Kong's standing internationally in relation to its appeal and attractiveness to tourists. You know, what's your diagnosis of the situation? Is it looking good? Well, um, if, if you don't mind, let me just give you some background on on where we stand as in terms of hotel occupancy. Uh, we have two hotels in Hong Kong, which are doing very, very well at the moment because our, our geographic location in Hong Kong is positive for both the tourist sector as well as the business sector. So in that context, we, two hotels, doing well. We've seen tourist numbers come up. We've seen the average daily rates go up, and that's positive. The only issue that we have to contend with is that there are Maybe close to 50% of the, uh, sorry, 70% of the tourists coming in from mainland China are day stayers. Mm. And as they come in for day, there's a rush for them to move around. So the consumption within hotels is not there. The consumption within uh, dining experiences is not there. And there's a lot more I can extrapolate in that, in that information. But um, I think what we need to do is, in addition to attracting tier additional tier two cities, we need to reach out to uh, the international community, the ones in ASEAN that are flying through transiting Hong Kong. We have a great airport, we have great infrastructure. What we need to do is to invite people to come and stay and stay longer, spend a little bit more time, and the time allows them to enjoy the the various different cuisines that we offer that are Michelin-starred or and non-Michelin-starred, but the variety of foods and availability of dining experiences, I think are very, very important. But if you look at the numbers right now, um, it, it does strike me that tourists from ASEAN and the Middle East just aren't coming to Hong Kong, or at least not as many as we'd like. So why is that? What's the bottleneck? Well, I, in my opinion, I think there's, there's a lot more promotion that Hong Kong can actually share with the world. 
we're, we're focusing a lot on the mainland side of it and because there's language um, compatibility. I think what we need to do is to have our resources available to share that with the world. Hong Kong is a magnificent city. It's been one of the freest cities in, in the world. It's the safest city in the world. Um, I, I'm born and raised here, so I am biased in every aspect of that. And I think that our promotion and our development in, in propagating the benefits of Hong Kong have been very weak, to say the least. Um, I think we can do a lot better. Uh, we've had a messy affair in the last two, three weeks. Um, I think that had to be attended to and could have been resolved in a better way. I think our, our marketing initiatives, both from top to down, could have actually been performed to create uh, a spin on what was a negative view of what Hong Kong's management capabilities. And I think that we need to be able to uh, change the narrative in, in a way that we can market it. Now, some might say that the messy affair of debacle was a bit of an own goal, to use the football analogy there. <laughs> but, you know, might there be a, a general concern that we're leaning too heavily into mega events and exhibitions as a means of propping up our attractiveness? You know, what about the alternative, sort of the plethora of benefits and also virtues we have, our countryside, our city landscape, our food? You know, why is that not being emphasized enough at present, do you think? Uh, uh, it, it, that's a beautiful question. I, have, I don't have an answer because we have so much more value. We have nuggets of value all throughout Hong Kong. And there's the youth. So there's a lot more. So yeah, James, James Tung, uh, I mean, you're with the Association of Travel Agents. You guys bring people in en masse, uh, which is mm -hmm. very different from attracting the individual traveler. But uh, I mean, what is bringing people to Hong Kong these days? Is it, is it the same things pre-COVID? Are we, are we trying to get back to some fantasy pre-COVID uh, perfect world? Or is there a new future for Hong Kong tourism? I mean, what, what is, why are people coming here now? Well, I think I think the overall um, the industry also understands that um, the consumer behaviors have changed. Um, so uh, post COVID, I think um, what um, the travelers are looking for it's more in depth experiences, uh, going through uh, uh, the, the the streets of Hong Kong, not only for the um, uh, shopping or the dining uh, per se, but more of an authentic, unique experiences. And I think throughout the, um, the, the, the COVID period, the government has done quite a bit, actually, to support the trade and the industry to develop more unique experiences. Um, and that, that's why I think um, the government spent over 600 million uh, to support uh, those um, travel operators uh, to develop such tools. And I think um, it, it's going to take time, uh, frankly speaking. I think um, besides um, what was mentioned by Minhash uh, in terms of the problems that we are facing, I think one key factor that always affects tourism is the currency issue. So that's why, you know, from a country such as ASEAN uh, or Middle East, as you guys just men mentioned earlier, uh, I think there is this problem um, with the currency factor. Having said that, we cannot blame that and we cannot hide behind that. However, what we need to do is really to enhance um, the unique experiences that we can deliver. Uh, mega events certainly is an area that we can look at. Uh, of course, we need to you know, avoid the debacles that we saw uh, with the messy affair. Having said all that, uh, I think we're, we're trending towards the right direction, um, but we still need to do more. So talking about the unique Hong Kong experience, a great uh, video uh, just dropped on YouTube. A friend of mine, Chris Lusher, put me onto it. Uh, attache, which does travel videos around the world, but the guy lived in Hong Kong for a long time. 
And one of the things that he points out, we talk about authentic experiences, uh, Dapai Dongs, the licenses for Dapai Dongs, you got them uh, when they were first given them out in the 1960s and 70s, and then you could only hand it down to your child, and they are not giving them out anymore, and the Dapai Dongs are disappearing from Hong Kong. And I mean, mm-hmm. what you know, why are we like moaning about not getting Taylor Swift when we could just give more licenses and let people, you know, run small businesses that make up the authentic, the real Hong Kong. I mean, is 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 that maybe a, maybe should we be changing tax and stop, you know, using taxpayer money to support big events and maybe just let Hong Kongers be Hong Kongers. That's what could attract people. Well, well, I think I think it's a combination of factors. I think what um, the government has done recently uh, with the Temple Street uh, installation supported by the Tourism Board, uh, it's a it's a it's a good trend uh, towards that direction of you know recreating that unique Hong Kong experiences that we have. Um, I, I'm sure uh, the the government is looking into that. However, I think um, uh, you know mega events as as we see you know um, uh, with with uh, what Singapore has been doing uh, has this effect as well. I mean, having you know six states of Taylor Swift concerts uh, and, and and making sure that uh, you know they're the exclusive uh, uh, Southeast Asia destination of having that, um, it actually helps. It does also attract uh, people coming here. Having said all that, I think mega events. It's um, probably we need to de- uh, well, define what mega events really is, and you know only those super. Uh, grade A mega events can attract people coming in with a purpose. Other um, uh, lesser or, or second class mega events, they will only enhance physical experiences while they're in town. Now, um, but that's also important because we want the tourists coming in here after experiencing all different types of events, even though without the purpose of coming for the events, they would come back, go back to their home country and tell their friends that, you know, in Hong Kong, besides the unique experiences that we need to offer, there are also, you know, different events while you're in town that you can enjoy, which enhances the overall experiences. I think that's a combination that we need to do. You know, James, what I certainly was quite surprised by this year and did not expect was, uh, you know, the Prime Minister of Thailand and also leadership of Singapore vying over Taylor Swift's presence in the country. It's really quite remarkable. But uh, turning Mm -hmm. now over to you, Mahesh, you know, an element that was raised just then by Andrew is the importance of history, the importance of culture in Hong Kong's appeal to visitors. And I was just thinking, when it comes to historical tourism, we've got a plenty of, you know, incredibly important monuments and also, you know, cultural heritage sites, right? So, for instance, Sun Yat-sen's former residence or the cemetery in uh, in Aberdeen, actually, I believe, where there are lots of prominent figures in contemporary or near-contemporary Chinese history who are buried there. So, given that your family's been in Hong Kong for, what, three or four generations, could you perhaps comment on this angle of a historically informed approach to tourism in Hong Kong? Uh, yes, um, Brian, very, very good points. Um, I, I just want to rewind a little bit to what James was um, was mentioning. I think we, we have two anchor bases. One is the uh, Dai Bai Dong uh, experience, and then the other one's a mega event. Mm. And there's a, there's, it's a huge gap in between. Mm. The, the issue, I think, needs to be managed is one that James mentioned was how it propagates by sharing that information with their friends. The second aspect is how do we make sure that this is a sustainable practice that keeps these tourists from wanting to come back? And I think that's the question, the why Hong Kong needs to establish itself to have that why of coming back to Hong Kong, what it means, becomes embedded in their culture. 
Now, coming to your point, Brian, I think um, those questions about culture and our history are very, very important. Um, we, we have these monuments and we have these establishments. My family has recognized that we're 100 years old. And being 100 years old, when we moved to Hong Kong 1939, um, we're, we're softly institutionalized in Hong Kong. We're not actually the hard asset of, of pillars of monument that Hong Kong actually contains. But we are instrumental in helping communities and helping society in their development, whether it's a charity and some sort of uh, philanthropic or NGO activity. Uh, we're trying to promote that awareness. So there's, there's a hard asset and there's a soft asset. And the soft assets I see in Hong Kong um, are not readily available to be shared because Hong Kong's wealth and is, is one pillar of Hong Kong's greatness has been the freedom of movement of money and the availability of movement of money, mm. uh, which has not been able to be shared in the context other than the stock market. And we know the stock market today has shrunk in its number of IPOs that are coming through. So how do we create and share that message? And I was pleasantly uh, surprised when, when Christopher Hoy sent me, the financial services uh, district counselor, sent me information that Hong Kong just was removed from the tax authorities' watch list because we are now compliant with EU standards. So these are underlying measures that were not actually understood and how Hong Kong is still staying relevant and how it's growing with the rest of the world as the world is changing. But we still have the historical standpoints to which we can recognize and go back to before it's taken away. So turning out over to you, James, I just uh, want to ask you, you know, Mahesh talked about uh, briefly our interactions with the West, the US, Europe, etc. Uh, could you perhaps comment on just in terms of demographics, uh, how, how are we doing for European, American, British tourists uh, who are traveling through to Hong Kong, you know, as compared with pre-COVID or pre-pandemic levels? Uh, do you see an increase or a decrease in terms of folks coming through? I think we're not seeing these travelers really coming back to the pre-COVID levels as of yet. There are a host of factors. Um, the airline capacity certainly um, has an impact. Uh, I think, of course, geopolitical issues are creating um, those impacts as well. Um, now, um, I think we need to take it step by step. I think as we've seen from the uh, airport authorities numbers in terms of you know, the, the flight capacity, um, it's still some ways, well, it's still around 80% probably uh, towards the uh, pre-COVID levels. Um, and we need to see those capacity uh, come back before we can actually uh, really look at, you know, the numbers coming from these countries. Mm. I mean, but you're saying 80%, that, that's not the target is to get back to pre-COVID levels. I mean, we built the third runway for a reason, right? <laughs> so, so that we could blow, blow past those numbers. <laughs> yes, correct. Um, but um, I think uh, that's, uh, that's an answer that the airport authority has to uh, provide to us because um, I think uh, there, there were news coming up that um, the, uh, the, the Terminal 2 uh, will not be available until 2026 or some, sometime closer to that. So um, in terms of capacity issue, that has always been an impact because, as I said, currency and, of course, the, um, the air, air capacity uh, plays a huge impact on the incoming visitors, particularly from the longer haul markets. Mm. Are, are we at a disadvantage? Just changing gears a little bit, we had some people from the uh, Polytechnic University on Wednesday on this topic, and talking about marketing. Um, is Hong Kong in kind of a weird 
place in terms of our social, our, our capability of marketing online. Uh, because Hong Kong is still the most the most popular platform is Facebook, which in the rest of the world is you know for my mother, uh, <laughs> you know, and young people don't use it. Uh, people are on Instagram, TikTok. Hong Kong doesn't, you know, we're uh, TikTok's banned in Hong Kong. Not not like any TJ teenager here doesn't know how to use a VPN. <laughs> but I mean, TikTok's banned in Hong Kong. Are we not using it properly? And then you know, mainland China is on a whole different social media ecosystem. Are we like, do our people actually know how to market on these platforms that, you know, they can't even access without a VPN? Do we know what we're like? Are we are we kind of at a disadvantage on both sides because we have kind of a weird social media ecosystem? We don't we can't market to these places. Mahesh, I, I think we're living in fear. I think uh, if, if I can suggest that. Yeah. Um, is that we went through a stage in 2019 and prior to that 2014 went through a period that was really shocking for a lot of us sure never expected mm. and now we've come to the point where okay that fear is ingrained that we have to follow certain standards mm. and those standards we don't know what are and don't know what it is yet mm. how do we conform to what is being asked of us so i know that national security laws i know article 23 is being published and I'm, i know that xiao Long is coming here to hong kong has come to hong kong to discuss these issues and i'm actually excited that he came Rather than having, you know, voice pieces of assumptions, we're now getting to have an actual uh, format that we can explain what Hong Kong is all about and for there to be a cross understanding. So away from politics, I think Hong Kong giving up TikTok, for example, or having that ban is no different from having uh, Instagram ban. And then why not have Facebook ban and why not have uh, the Little Red Book ban? And mm. then, you know, we have to control the narrative and we shouldn't. We should allow the freedom of expression to come through until it, 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 it impedes onto what could be constituted as an incursion into what our safety and national needs are. And I'm all in support for national security law. I think we do need one. Mm. We're way behind the schedule. We do need one. But we need to be able to highlight what are those specificities. And we can't do that until we have some experiential elements attached to it. So we need to bring back TikTok, because that's what the youth are looking at. We need to bring back, amplify Instagram so people can, you know, grow the wealth. That's where the tourists are. Uh, you know, James, what do you think? Are we, are we at a disadvantage? Do we, do we, are we effectively marketing ourselves? Uh, I, I think for the, for the mainland platforms, um, I think there has been some work done, uh, you know, driven by the tourism board as well. Um, but of course, um, I, I think overall, um, there's still a lot more work to be done, uh, particularly, you know, on IG and, and all these different channels. Um, I, I think it's the narrative more important than the platforms that we use. Um, indeed, um, using mega events as a driver may not be the most suitable thing. Um, I think we really need to highlight our unique experience that can be offered, um, and that needs the support from the government. Um, with, you know, what kind of tourism facilities, new facilities. I mean, having a Temple Street Market actually works. However, um, we haven't had enough time to get that message across to the market. I think um, just making sure that the establishment is available um, on ground, uh, but without proper or, you know, massive campaigns to push behind that uh, seems to be the question or, or, the, or the problem that we are facing. 
we've got a comment coming in from uh, Henry who said that he saw on YouTube that Singapore has many wushu meets and uh, they're very interesting. And he was wondering if Hong Kong could also get some martial arts gatherings. I mean, that, I suppose, to some extent, James, harks back to your comment about uniqueness. You know, what makes Hong Kong unique today? Uh, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, was pretty palpable. You had the peninsula, you had a great harbour, the fragrant harbour, the wonderful skies, the skyscrapers and so forth. But many of these selling points and assets are no longer unique. We've got Singapore with its own cosmopolitan postmodern approaches to architecture and modernity. You've got Korea and K-pop and Squid Games and its own soft power. <laughs> Japan's got delectable food and fantastic scenery and beautiful you know, places to visit. And even China itself has you know, many uh, plenty cosmopolises and also fantastic sites to, to be in. So, so what makes Hong Kong unique? And you know, Mahesh, what do you reckon is unique about Hong Kong today in 2024? I, I think the, the uh, lowest hanging fruit is that we had we were very powerful in Canto Pop and Canto Movies. And I think uh, when you talk about Wushu, you're talking about Bruce Lee that actually put Hong Kong on the map. And, and with that, uh, we have multiple, many, many martial arts uh, uh, clubs, so mm. to speak, that training facilities in Hong Kong. And, you know, I, I talked to my friends in New York who run jiu-jitsu uh, um, dojos and that they, they're saying, hey, look, uh, how do we do cross-meet? How do we create the youth exchange program that can actually facilitate for, for an exchange of ideas through art? Hmm. Now, martial arts is an art. So is singing, dancing, and painting, and, you know, creative uh, 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 different types of uh, art uh, performances. So what do we do to encourage that exchange and what we're doing is saying that um, okay we, we've got to reduce the funding on that side because it could be constituted as incursion into something else and I, I think we know what that something else is but what we need to do is push every element that Hong Kong has and Canto movies have some great scripts if we remember the infernal affairs some great great scripts that were sold and made lots of money what we need to do, which someone is doing, is integrating the American and UK production capabilities to add value to Hong Kong. And I, I thought that was very, very interesting. The problem is when he goes out to talk about money and raising the funding, there's not much funding for that. We'd rather spend the money on getting K-movies, K-dramas to come in. And we're spending a huge amount of money of that because there is a market that has Because they're good. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And the way they market it. So we have to add that marketing layer. Now, we talk about marketing layer. The Jockey Club has the Institute of Philanthropy. That's a $5 billion fund. The Hong Kong uh, government has a, a $600 million fund. And, and I see that we're spending that on mega events, as, as James is saying, but we're not actually attending to the real capability, product, production capability that the Hong Kong people have. And that's the self-propagation of our brand and our value and of our culture. It's the people of Hong Kong. Now, the people of Hong Kong are not just Chinese. There's me. Mm -hmm. I'm not Chinese. Mm. I'm constituted as an ethnic minority, but I'm not Chinese. And that, that's okay. Then you have the expats. And what happened to the expats who brought in that intellectual capability that helped Hong Kong to build its brand image? We've got to go back and look at that core value that brings Hong Kong back into the forefront of the world.
a quick clarification. Uh, TikTok decided to pull out and seize operating in Hong Kong, but was not banned by authorities. Correct. Just, not oh. banned, but we don't have it. That was more to do with American politics, I think. That's right. And and that also ties us to expats, which was obviously a show that uh, you know, <laughs> is, is, is very interesting. I'm not talking about a group, talking about a TV show. And uh, finally, a comment from Bill. How about decent toilets? Uh, these are new along the... Oh, he sent us a photo, actually, Bill, uh, showing us toilets along the harbour promenade near the middle tunnel entrance. And he, he said a gussied up porto potties with terrible ventilation does sound quite grim, actually, and not particularly conducive towards tourist or indeed general usage. So on that very note, we are so, so pleased to be joined by James Tung uh, earlier today, uh, the executive committee member from the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents. Thank you very much for joining us, James. And uh, joining us after the break would be Matthias Wu, a co-artistic director and executive director of Zunier Cosahedron. And staying with us, of course, is Mahesh. So, uh, and, and after 9.45, we'll be joined by Jenman Jenkins, community director at SBCA. Please do call, email, and join in on the fun and the discussion here. The weather now and the forecast is it's 20 Celsius with 87% humidity. It's mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches, and it'll be slightly cooler with maximum temperature during the day around 22 degrees. With moderate to fresh eastern northerly and northeasterly winds and occasionally strong offshore and uh, the outlook is slightly cooler mornings in the next few days so uh, stay warm and remaining windy on saturday with brighter early next week and now the news with carol musgrave the company behind a commercial u.s spaceship says it's landed on the surface of the moon the odysseus america's first spaceship on the moon in more than 50 years is part of a new fleet of NASA-funded commercial landers intended to pave the way for astronauts to return to the moon later this decade. The mother of the late Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, says she's finally been allowed to see his body nearly a week after he died suddenly in an Arctic prison. In a video, Ludmila Navalny accused officials of trying to blackmail her into agreeing to a secret burial without mourners. And the Transport Department says all lanes of the Chengkwano Lamton Tunnel in the direction of Chaikuolin have been closed due to a vehicle fire. The tunnel in the other direction has implemented two-way traffic to ease congestion. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. When the local seasonal influenza activity increases, if we fail to strengthen our immunity against flu in time, the risk of contracting flu could shoot up. Getting the flu jab can boost the immunity against flu and reduce the risks of severe complications and death. Don't drop your guard against flu, especially for persons aged 50 or above, children, pregnant women, and residents of residential care homes. Don't wait. Get a jab. Keep flu away. The Occupational Safety and Occupational Health Legislation Miscellaneous Amendments Ordinance 2023 is in effect. The maximum penalty has been raised to a $10 million fine and two years imprisonment for serious contraventions. Employers, employees and other duty holders should work together to prevent accidents. Complying with occupational safety and health legislation is a shared obligation for employers and employees. Well, 
you, welcome back to Backchat. You're listening to Backchat on Friday morning with me, Brian Wong, and Andrew Work. So uh, let's pick it up on a conversation just then, Mahesh. You were talking a lot about, you know, deploying funds appropriately on a part of the government to prop up and stimulate interest in Hong Kong. Now, what do you make of the advertising campaign and attempts to tell Hong Kong's story well internationally? If you were able to advise the government, what would you say to them? Um, very good topic. Uh, we need to create a system in which we can create the proper campaign that goes out. It seems like we're, we're performing on a knee-jerk reaction. We, someone comes up with an idea and say, let's do Hello Hong Kong. Okay, let's do Hello Hong Kong. And then you have uh, individuals who, who are very significant individuals that come up and say a very short message rather than saying too deeply about what Hong Kong is all about, what it offers. And that's, that you need across demographic I think from the young to old and all different uh, walks of life that come in to be able to share that. But I think that's more of a supportive uh, element that comes after the major campaign. It's not the main campaign. So we spend a lot of that in saying, hello, Hong Kong, come to Hong Kong. Now, mega events, and I know Hong Kong TDC is doing a lot in promoting Hong Kong's attributes as, as a trading base because we have no more manufacturing. But we need to be able to listen to other marketing campaigns, and we have to perform what is a, a blind valuation, uh, evaluation? Because right now, you know, the, 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 the Anne Hinmarch balloon story of, of $7.8 million coming to them, I think we could have performed that in a better way rather than saying we have the mega arts and culture uh, council, development council that is overlooking uh, what is required as an arts development. And we've gone outwards and we've contracted someone outwards to bring some art relevance. And we already have M+. We already have Palace Museum that's doing a lot of that. We have the Museum of Modern Art in, in Hong Kong as well, uh, that the Museum of Art in the Cultural Center. Um, I think what we really need to do is look at highlight what Hong Kong does in terms of its own availability of its art and showcase that. That's the process that we have to go out and talk to all the artists, create a competition, get them, invite them to come and participate. Now, I'll tell you this because we do this at one of our hotels, at the Harry Hotel. We, own, we host and contribute to the art contest, and we award them with a cash gift. And we bring artists from, from in Hong Kong and around the world. They want to come in and showcase their art. We run a competition. Hmm. So we can do that in Hong Kong as well. We need to do that. And competition is where you're able to bring in people that, to share the variety of offers that can project and that helps build Hong Kong's value as well. We're not just sitting here as lame ducks listening to people tell us how we need to live our lives. We actually do have a life. There is the life of the job and we have a life outside of the job. And what is that life outside of the job? That's the creative availability that comes in to show Hong Kong's um, Capabilities, And this really goes to show the importance, you know, I'm sure Andrew would agree mm. as well, of having Hong Kong's people tell our stories. I mean, the best way to tell a story is to be authentic, is to be real and to get into the gritty details. It can only manifest if there's genuinely a person behind it, right? The moment you turn you know, Hong Kong stories into slogans, into tropes, into you can shop and dine and have yeah. dim sum anytime you want. I mean, that's when you deprive the stories of their oxygen and persuasiveness in the eyes of the audience. So I, I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? You can make compelling stories by committee and I mean that's what you get with tourism promotion boards and I know a lot of people are going to be like don't say this but I mean I think you know a lot of that funding should just be withdrawn and let Hong Kong be Hong Kong um, one of the areas that really hasn't come back though is the nightlife 
right? Uh, we're one, you know, what, what is going on with the nightlife in Hong Kong? Because, I mean, Wan Chai is still a shadow of its former self, and people might have a little chuckle about that. But, you know, I'm running events across Asia, and people are like, we're going to Bangkok. Everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, hey, what's going on? Then we're going to Hong Kong, and they're like, oh, yeah. And then it's like, oh, but I, I don't even want to tell them that Wan Chai is like, you know, half the place has never reopened after after COVID. It's a real, you know, it's, it's a, it, you know, my daughter's like, like in the nightclub range now. When her and her friends want to have a big night out, they rent a room. Yeah. They don't go to a club because it's like, why would you? They're like, nah, there's not really anything. I'd rather just like book a private room with all my friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the scene is not attracting them. It's not out there. Mahesh, I don't know. Like you, you, you and I are maybe a little bit past our nightclubbing prime. But- I, I'm completely past that. I, I, I can't go out after 6 p.m. I'm scared of the dark. No, I'm asking but- the wrong guy then. You know? <laughs> no, but, but I think to your point, um, Brian, sorry to interrupt, but um, yeah, it's changed. The whole partying atmosphere has changed. The whole uh, entertainment atmosphere has changed. And there are multiple factors to this is that um, our, our social engagement is mobile phones. Mm. And that has taken a change in interaction with other people. And then the gentrification of property prices going up. So you have to actually grow that value mm. in terms of your asset. So that displaces a lot of that sustainability. COVID was absolutely no help whatsoever. Mm. That changed. But we had that in 2003 as well when we had SARS. We had the live music industry that changed to the nightclub and DJ industry, which is now coming to say, where's Lan Kwai Fong? And it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, still not there. Joining us uh, over the phone is uh, Matthias. Matthias, are you here? Hi, yeah. Hi, Matthias. Good morning. Good morning. Now, I I just want to bring you into the convo right here because you've written a few pieces on cultural IP on Shanghai blossoms and comparing and contrasting Hong Kong and Shanghai's cultural and tourism policies. Now, what do you see as the main defects in uh, Hong Kong's current approach to tourism or its strengths? And what do you make of the conversation so far? I think the the one is uh, Hong Kong has a, a too much engineer. Uh, dictated uh, <laughs> the whole the whole city is dictated by engineers, so they are over control. Like a lot of regulation, building codes. So that's why we can't have a lot of uh, interesting uh, clubbing space or F and B space or even entertainment space. For example, if you want to bring in uh, in interesting immersive uh, theater to Hong Kong, it's impossible because the building code and the fire code already kill everything. And then I think the government, the way how uh, Hong Kong government uh, run the city is run like um, uh, they over control, like hawkers. We can't have hawkers. Yeah. We can't have, uh, we have a lot of interesting market in San Juan, but then it's dying because the government don't have licensing policy, proper licensing policy. Hawker is not allowed it in Hong Kong. They are, they, it's, uh, but there are so many interesting hawkers, uh, thematic uh, in San Juan, uh, second-hand art, art, uh, artifacts or even Chinese uh, calligraphy. There are many interesting things happening in Hong Kong, and there are many interesting uh, small and medium-sized companies that are doing interesting toys, uh, uh, F&B, a lot of things. But then the problem is, I think it's too many. We are engineer-dominated. We spend a lot of money in building bridges, uh, Put bridges, but then we don't have theaters. We don't have enough. We only have 20 theaters in Hong Kong. But if you, if you go to Tokyo, thousands, thousands of theaters, thousands of cupping space. But in Hong Kong, it's, it's too many, too only focusing selling, um, real estate, uh, residential products. I mean, the, and, and also the real estate, uh, is not healthy because if you go to shopping mall, why people rush to Sunjun? Because Sunjun had a lot of interesting shopping mall, not just 
not just selling the same thing, but they have different experience, uh, sport. I just back from Singapore. You know what? One funny thing I find is there are so many climbing, uh, uh, um, climbing, uh, rock climbing facility in shopping mall. You know, I went to a few and it's so popular. I mean, and there are uh, a bowling and you know, you, you name it. If you go to Bangkok, you can do a lot of things. But in Hong Kong, you know, we used, we used to be the bowling town. You know, a lot of bowling. When I was young, there's so many bowling places, but now all gone. Snooker, pool, I mean, you name it. This is just normal, but then the licensing thing. Like Hong Kong used to have a lot of interesting sauna and bathing facility, entertainment kind of thing. It's all gone because of the licensing. The licensing is too harsh. So it's a very difficult to keep up a business. But then it's the overall mentality of the government. It's not just, uh, it happened like, uh, I mean, it's not just, uh, it started uh, in many, many years ago, just accumulative, you know, like the neon sign. The neon sign is, uh, is a very good example. I mean, I mean, it's just a Hong Kong signature, but the government kill it, you know, yeah. by, by it's over control, you know. The, I think mean, it's too much control. Yes, a government, I mean, a, a city needs to be governed, not controlled, but there's too many control. Like the reason, uh, you know, the, this debate about uh, Taylor Swift, you know, we don't have the venue. <laughs> we don't have the proper venue. And then we, we don't have the proper uh, technical guideline that fits the international standard for big concert. Our, our, you know, the, and the government are introducing very harsh regulation for performance after the mural incident. And <laughs> I, yeah. I won't see. I mean, we will ask Taylor to how about Asherine? We can uh, have a co-play. There's a lot of uh, uh, big stuff. Like last year, uh, Morrissey cancelled his show, not just Ross Stewart. You know, before the before the messy before the messy thing, they've actually they felt few cancellation of uh, of uh, important international uh, star that that cancelled the Hong Kong tour because because the hardware is a serious problem. You know, but then no one listened to the no one listened to professional. They just they just I I really don't know what to say. You know. Yeah, Matthias, I, I know what you mean. The <laughs> yeah. So, but talk, talk about the licensing after the mirror. And so I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm running an event in Hong Kong at the W Hotel in May, and I'm looking at doing something fun with the staging for the daytime and then the nighttime. And they're like, oh, well, if you want to build anything over 18 feet high, you have to get an engineer in and signed yes, off and yes. buy extra insurance. I'm like, just so I can have like a backstage that's like a couple of feet taller. They're like, well... It might fall over. And this was all new regulations that came out of the wake of the mirror incident. I think people don't, a lot of people that aren't in the business don't realize it. Like one thing happens and next thing you know, there's like a whole new raft of regulations that. And, and the engineer and the, all the regulations are set up by engineer who have zero understanding of the event. And, and UK, a lot of sophisticated cities are not engineer, you know, they, they, I mean, engineer, uh, they take care of the bridges and the infrastructure, but like in UK, they have professionals that know events and theatre that they will guide and facilitate a safe. No one, no one wants to have accident happen. I, I, can, can I just add? And sorry, the, yeah. the industry people yes. care a lot. Yeah. But then the issue is, I don't really see the existing uh, mode, governance mode, that they can absorb uh, what the industry needs. Not only just entertainment, but but a lot of issue is a similar pattern that uh, they just, um, uh, if anything related to structure, they will get uh, engineer. But then the engineer just want to have more regulation and more engineer to supervise rather than 
to facilitate a more healthy. I mean, in in Tokyo, in Japan, I walk in Japan. I, I mean, actually, I walk around. I work around in in Asia. A lot of, especially in Japan, they have very positive institute. The government is help you realize it, rather than, okay, no, 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 more regulation, more, more, and then, and 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 then, and then, and then, and that's why, I mean, we should we, we should we have how to. We could, it's sorry to interrupt, but but yeah. um, I think you raise a very interesting point. Uh, we we live in a gatekeeper syndrome society, and I think that that's really to ensure that the job is not taken away, that they continue to to implore these uh, new policies that that don't work. But I agree with you. A, a truly riveting discussion yeah. so far, and I guess we all agree that uh, you know engineers. Uh, they can get a tad mechanical sometimes, but it's still very important. And on that, we've got a comment from Chi saying, government officials here are not trained in intervening as in Singapore or mainland China. Instead, it's a job of private businesses in tourism sector. And Brett says, the clear inward focus on tourism and the associated need to build things to entice them to come makes me wonder what it was that brought non-domestic tourists here in the volumes that we had in the 1980s. Very interesting questions. And on that very note, uh, we had you know wonderful guests uh, for our first 45 minutes today. So thank you very much once again to Mahesh joining us uh, from a family of hotel developers born and raised here in Hong Kong and Matthias Wu, uh, co-artistic director and executive director of International Experimental Theatre Company Zunier Kosahedrin. Thank you very much. And it's now 9.45. And in a moment, we'll be talking about SBCA's newly released dating style mobile pet adoption app. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. Great. Uh, Welcome back. We are now joined by the director, uh, or, or rather the... Uh, from Jenman Jenkins, the community director from SBCA. Welcome to Backchat, Jenman. You yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So yes, you know you, you've got this new pet adoption app. Could you tell us a bit more about this app? I'm sure many of us are are dying to find out about it. Yes, absolutely. So it's inspired by a human dating style app, so people can explore animals for adoption through swiping. Uh, and the, the app is randomized, so you, it's a real discovery experience, so you can discover all kinds of animals, from dogs, cats, turtles, birds, or rabbits. And I, I mean, so you, basically you've set up Tinder for animal adoption. Exactly, it is. Uh, except that maybe you can't chat to the animal, not quite just yet. Yeah, they're probably not. Very, I mean, yeah, you'd have to work something out. <laughs> Elon <laughs> Musk can help. AI yeah. someday e- Elon Musk. Yeah. Do, yes. they, do the animals get to swipe? I mean, do they get to like? Eh, no. No, not not quite right. That I mean, you know, as an NGO, we are very excited to be able to uh, launch this app. Uh, so we very much think that this is 1.0, and with uh, funding and technology, hopefully, we'll be able to add more features. It's a very easy to use, uh, friendly, uh, usable app. So hopefully, people can have a real discovery experience because everybody is busy, right? So we hope that you know it was inspire people to discover where they're located in our adoption center and come meet them in real life for a real date. Great. And actually on that, you know, do you think this would help um, or go some way in promoting, you know, a new model or a new form of dating and relationships between humans? It's not just about the pets here. It's also about the human relationship, surely. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I dated way before the app is available, so I can't really comment on that. But, but I think what we, uh, the, 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 the insight was, you know, animal and human bonding very much uh, simulate uh, the love 
drugs, right? So they really stimulate uh, oxytocin and really, you know, rename the real life event adoption date in the first place, thinking that people will find their forever love that way. And then, you know, incidentally, then we uh, we've met a volunteer that had a framework for a Tinder style inspired uh, style app, uh, and then the two came together, and then the app was born. Is, was did it uh, during the process? Did anybody raise a concern um, that maybe this might cheapen? the relationship experience i mean the the tv show family guy has a great episode where that is you know targeting tinder and it just shows how it just builds these really superficial uh encounters between people and i mean do you think it'll cheapen the experience if people are like like this uh, don't like this dog don't like this dog do- ugly dog ugly dog. Uh, uh, oh this one's fine have it delivered to my flat by 3 p.m like they're ordering something off amazon i mean uh, you know previously you had to go down you had to visit you had to make an effort to get out, does this make it too easy for people? To Actually, kind of- um, I think this is more of a discovery experience. To be very honest, you still need to come down to the center to meet them. And we do encourage that. So, I mean, the function of the app really is allow you to discover. So what you can do if you like to uh, swipe right, then uh, make sure you press the favorite button and then you can see their personality. Uh, and then you can see where they're located, whether it's in any of the um, adoption center to come actually meet them. And we obviously similar to humans we probably encourage you to come multiple times to have a real date to really you know get to know to e- get to know each other and obviously uh, our team will still vet through all the um, guidelines about adoption as well so um, nothing to cheapen but really to um, tap into the busyness of uh, our lives uh, and to really get uh, more exposure for the animals I mean uh, I found my uh, rescue dog through Facebook as well so this is just taking the technology into a little bit uh, another level to be easier for for people to uh, find them. So more front-facing, but you still have the proper procedures. And I mean, how do you vet people to be adoptive parents of an animal? I know if, well, you know, if obviously you're going to adopt a child, it's a big mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of screening going on. Um, but if people are adopting animals, I mean, aren't you guys under a lot of pressure to get them out the door so you don't have to put them down after a couple of weeks? I mean... Well, I think the second comment is is is, is important. Uh, we don't put them down until it's, it's unless it's a it's a it's a quality of life situation. So I just want to you know say that up front. Oh, actually, in the in the old yes. days, if the animal was like there for too long, they'd be like, all right, nobody's going to adopt this animal. You know, you better you better adopt this one, or we're going to have to put them down. And then you know that was a little bit of a, you know. I mean, but now you don't do that anymore. Now we you don't do that anymore. We okay. will have to invite you um, down to the center and take you through the process. We don't. We actually have over four hundred animals under our care right now waiting for home and that includes mm. the ones that are uh, ready to go home that are uh, hospitalized and actually some of them are um, under prosecution cases so we'll have to take care of them until the cases are over before they can find a home so taking care of 400 animals is not a small task uh, we would love to find them a home uh, but we, we, we're not in a hurry I mean a lot of them are, are long stay with us you know some uh, one doggy is even uh, 14 years old so uh, that, that we don't do Has he been with the SPCA for 14 years? No, he hasn't. She hasn't, uh, but she is 14 years old. She hasn't. I, I feel like she's been in there for at least three or four years. Her name's Bella. Three or four. So you have animals that are with you for three or four years now? Yes, we do. Um, I think, I don't know if you're aware, basically the adoption rate has really been impacted uh, post-COVID. Uh, and now everybody's traveling. So um, and that's why initiatives like mm. this, you know, drive a little bit of news for people to uh, drive traffic back into the center. Uh, but yeah, we have uh, animals, what we call uh, long stayers. Uh, and they are with us for uh, quite a long period of time. Uh, so we get to used to uh, know them. But, you know, it's nothing like uh, in the kennel versus a loving home. 
Wonderful. And, and I know there's been a lot of analogi- analogizing with Tinder thus far in a conversation. <laughs> Having never used it myself, I must inevitably ask you, you know, is there a comparable rating function that you have on this app as you do on Tinder, I believe? It's, it's a bit like Uber, right? So after all, you know, is there an opportunity or way for you at the SVCA sort of a hub to, to rate these uh, potential adopters uh, for their uh, suitability and vice versa? You know, do prospective owners get to rate the dogs that they experiment uh, or rather they, they experienced you know um, fleeting moments together with not quite yet but that's good feedback and that's exactly the type of feedback that we're looking to improve the 2.0 but what you can do is a very cool function so we always uh, rescue animals and we always rescue them when they're quite little the neonatal a day old or two day old there's also a function for us to recruit foster parents so there's a notification function if you've signed up you know on a press of a button we can do a call out and say hey we're five kittens looking for foster parents please come now. Uh, so that gives us a, a lot of efficiency to look for them to uh, get them immediate care. Just on a note of adoption, though, you know, there are many folks who might be keen on having and owning a pet and, you know, working with them. And yet at the same time, they might struggle, right? So they lack the knowledge or the skills and know-how. So could you perhaps tell us a bit more about how SBCA, if at all, you know, trying to train and equip these prospective adopters with uh, the skills required to handle pets? Is that a part of your, the services and also the, the insights you provide? Yes, absolutely. I think to answer the earlier question in terms of adoption process, especially for dogs, the first thing that we vet is to make sure that your lease will allow animals because we don't want you to smuggle mm. a dog into the apartment. So that's very, very important. And in terms of training, we have our behavioral and training uh, department. And, and, and I often actually, we often do a seminar called 333 Rescue Dogs Rule. It's holding people's hand to understand the animal needs to transition into your home from three days to three weeks to three months. And then we have all kinds of education course such as first aid, uh, taking care of senior animals, etc. So uh, it's very comprehensive and resourceful uh, and we uh, definitely want to set the new porns for, up for success as well. Now, if you want to have a say in this very dogged discussion, uh, you're more than welcome to phone in at 233-88266. It's going to be a true, uh, a, a wonderful discussion in which we can roll around. But on that, you know, just to follow up, How's the government reacted, if at all, to the news of the app? Um, are you in talks with, say, the, the welfare departments or labour department and also the animal rights centre departments in the government to see if you can roll this feature out in some governmental services? Because I'd imagine, you know, having uh, adoption services being more widely available to, you know, folks who are keen on having their own pet and perhaps in, in tandem with the government might be a good way of promoting and expanding your user base. Uh, what do you reckon there, Jenman? I think that would be great. Uh, that's a, you're giving me lots of inspiration and ideas uh, for partnership. Uh, and to that, actually, we are celebrating the app uh, tomorrow uh, in an event as well. So any people that come down to join us for the street party in Shangwan uh, will get a mystery gift as well. So just a little uh, bit of a celebration and 10 pups will be appearing in person for a real life uh, date as well. So come along. What's cool. the address? Uh, it's number one, Yulan Terrace. Uh, we'll be at a wonderful uh, neighborhood uh, pet shop called Pet Petison. Where Yulan Terrace? Where is that exactly? Shangwan. I know Shangwan, but I mean, where in Shangwan? Uh, near Poho is one of the coolest uh, dog-friendly neighborhoods. So, um, uh, yes, if you know, you know. So, but definitely come down, and we have lovely coffees uh, 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 as well that will be part of the event. I know Shangwan, but I'm trying to place it in my head, but uh, not quite getting there. 
We don't need to be so petty, I suppose, about the pets. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with, I assume that when you're there, you're going to encourage people to download the app. How many downloads have you had? How long has it been? Uh, I assume it's on the Google Play and it's in the, uh, the Apple, whatever they have store. I mean, how many downloads have you had? Well, we've only launched it uh, for three weeks. So uh, right now we have over 2,600 users already. Really? Yeah. So uh, it's only been three weeks. And at one point when we had volunteers to help us push for the download, it was almost about Tinder and coffee and bagel. Really? Yes, really. That is something else. And what's the overwhelming vibe from the feedback? You know, are you getting any uh, general patterns, trends, comments, suggestions? I think people are quite excited. I think it's quite lighthearted and playful and easy to use. So we've had a very positive feedback. Uh, And I think especially uh, we always look through technology to connect with the newer, younger generation. So, you know, whenever we talk to uh, the new, you know, the younger people, they're like, oh, you know, very, very exciting. And like you, they have lots of uh, very good... uh, ideas for feedback for us to improve the app as well. How did you develop it and how much did it cost? Uh, good question. Actually, so we had the idea for the actual adoption date property. So we held real life event every month uh, earlier. Uh, and then uh, last year, uh, we met a volunteer and then we spoke about the idea and he was very passionate uh, about animal welfare and adoption. Mm-hmm. And he said, actually, uh, I have an app. I've been building an app. I've been looking for an NGO to find a home for it. Uh, so then we started collaborating um, and uh, working with our team to make sure that the security and the data is tight. And then voila, fast forward the the app is now live oh so this this person could uh, theoretically other other uh other other organizations could use this app as well just have it reskinned and and made fresh for different purposes potentially and there are other adoption app in the market as well Uh, i'm not as familiar with them uh but this particular individual ricky i think he's listening uh you know uh he's uh an animal lover so uh, a huge volunteer and fan of the spca so uh yeah you'll have to get in touch and see what he would say now i'm a dog lover many of my friends aren't. So just to clarify, uh, for, the, for the peace of mind, uh, what other pets and what other uh, well, types of pets do, do you have? Do you have tortoises and rabbits and cats, I believe? Is that yes, right? Yes, we do. Uh, so basically, we have three main types of animals. Small animals is exactly what you said. So turtle, bird, rabbit. We have a lot of rabbits because people are bored of the year of rabbit and abandon them uh, on the app right now. Terrible. So there's quite a few of them. Yeah, they're awful, terrible. Awful. Uh, cats, we have actually a huge amount of cats right now at the moment. Uh, and you you will see that uh, there's a little cat called Jacob with one eye as well. Uh, and then dogs. You know, I'm a dog person as well. There's a huge amount of dog. Actually, the doggy that I came here with the last time, Max, is still in uh, waiting for adoption uh, in our Kowloon Centre. What breed is he? He is a little Sharpe mix. He's grey. He's probably just under a year old now. Super, super adorable. So so, so back on the app when you signed up, is it, is it kind of like, I've never used uh, dating apps because, you know, 25 years. First of all, Gen X. Second, you know, married to the most amazing woman for the past 25 years. Um, but I mean, like, is it like, do you, do you specify straight, gay, bi, <laughs> but instead you pick like dog, rabbit, turtle, you know, what's your type before you start swiping? It's a very inclusive app. You can be anything. It's not like human. Ooh. We don't do any labels. So cats, birds, you know, uh, lizard, you know, uh, a hem- a hamster, anything. So we're very inclusive. You can be a dog person and a cat person at the same time. It's, it's like Zootopia. And on that note, thank you very much for joining us <laughs> today, gentlemen. Thank you. See thank you next you. time. Bye. Uh, a wonderful round of thanks to a Mahesh Haralela from the family of hotel developers born and raised in Hong Kong, James Tung, an executive committee member from Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents, Mateus from Xenia Kosihitran, and of course, last but not least, Jenman Jenkins from the SBCA. Uh,
we have coming up next brunch with Noreen and of course uh, before that I must also thank the producer Raphael and my wonderful co-host Andrew fantastic and uh, indeed we will be back with back chat on Monday so thank you all very much and have a pleasant day and also stay warm it's getting chilly thank you